Imagine being part of a family in the first century, living in the region of land known as Israel today. And you had just had a glorious eight years. Mind you, you suffered somewhat under the Roman Empire, the world at that time, that part of the world lay, lay under the dominion of Rome and the Roman armies were everywhere and they were cruel and you had experienced church life in the midst of hard times, but not too hard. And it was wonderful. You could encourage each other. You were, you were just doing great and the heat kind of turned up and there was some scattering, but you were still doing good. And then it, it got more and more intense. You were punished for being a Jew if you were Jewish. You were punished for being a Christian if you were a believer and wouldn't bow down to Rome. You were punished for being Jewish and Christian. You were living in difficult times, kind of like what we see today in the Middle East. Being a Christian is hazardous to your health in some parts of the world. And so you had to leave town. You had to leave your belongings. You had to get out of Dodge. You had to take, pack up your family, leave your business, leave your house, your livelihood behind, and head north. Going south was a desert and hotter. Going north wasn't as much of a desert as it was colder. And eventually settling down close to the Black Sea. In your journey, you had eaten so much fish, you probably didn't like it much anymore. But you were surviving. You found other believers, and you began to plant a congregation in the area where you were meeting. You didn't have the New Testament yet. It was just being formed organically through collections of books written to encourage people, such as the case in the congregation where you went. And one, one weekend, a letter arrived from someone you dearly love, Simon, son of Joma, who Jesus had named Peter. And he wrote a letter to encourage you. So every week you got together, you would, you would listen to Peter's words. You would drink them in. And you knew it was addressed to you. He said, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion, that is, to the diaspora, the, the people that are living as foreigners in foreign lands, in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And you would think, that's us. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Oh, that was just so encouraging. In spite of, in spite of having to start over again and living somewhere where you don't speak the language and somewhere where you don't quite have enough clothes to dress warm enough when it's cold and and everybody smells like smoke in the wintertime because you're having to keep fires lit all the time. But you love to gather together with other believers and talk about the good old days, but also be encouraged because you live today. You've got a job to do. You've got this church to get going. You've got families to raise. You've got suffering to endure. And here are these words from Peter encouraging you. He talks about going through struggles, trials, that even in the midst of them, you can consider yourself being like gold going through fire. You can have a reason to rejoice, reasons that are without words, because we have a living hope. 
And then one Sunday, these words stand out to you as you hear the leaders reading. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Hearing those words, you, you would realize that Christ suffered. Who am I to think that I could live life without any suffering, without any inconvenience? I don't live under the tyranny of my own desires for relief. I want to live under the lordship of the Prince of Peace. To them, that is the Old Testament prophets, it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering. The things which have now been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Hearing those words would give you a fresh appreciation for the Old Testament scriptures and the prophecies from Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 and others about what the Messiah would do, how he would suffer and pay for our sins. And this would bring comfort to your heart because you knew that he had risen from the dead. The empire couldn't resist it. The church was spreading like wildfire, even in spite of the suffering you were going through. Therefore, verse 13, Peter writes, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. That is, tighten up the belt of your thinking. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In spite of what we're going through now, we've got a future to look forward to with the Lord throughout eternity. Our earthly life is but a vapor compared to to the future that we have with them. That even if we suffer to the point of death, it's bye-bye suffering, hello glory. As obedient children, that now, now we live as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust. In other words, I don't let, we don't let our hard times knock us down and make us go back to our old ways. We've done that, been there, done that, not the T-shirt and the ball cap and the ink pen and the stationery and the CD and the DVD. We don't want that anymore. So not conforming ourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, that is when we didn't know any better, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Become holy, for I am holy. This is as much, if not more, a promise than a command. Obviously, it's a command to observe that we want to be holy. We want to live holy. But we cannot do it on our own. We need his help. And so any works of righteousness or acts of holiness that we do is faith in his promise I am becoming holy because he's doing a work in my heart. This suffering is going to make me better, not bitter. These hard times are going to make me strong. The verses I really would like to focus on today to us living in the 21st century 
is verse 17 and to 21. If you call on the Father who without partiality judges, if you call on the Father who without partiality judges, that is, he's an impartial judge, he judges according to each one's work. So when you appear before him, you don't already have three strikes against you. You have a clean slate. You've been made clean through the blood of Christ. Now how are you living? That's what he's concerned about. Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay, that is your sojourning, this foreign residence that you're holding, here in fear. You know, while we may not be living in northern Turkey, along the banks of the Red Sea, we are strangers in a strange land. As Americans, we have a dual citizenship. When we were converted, we were translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And we have to remember that. Use our citizenship to our advantage. By all means, vote and be active and all that other stuff. But do not put all your hope in that. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. We're aliens and strangers in a foreign land. We're going through hell, but we're going to heaven. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. So we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. In the first century, it was a great privilege to have Roman citizenship. And if you were not a citizen of Rome, you were, dan- you were in danger of being enslaved. I mean, soldiers could draft you to do stuff for you. Fifty percent of the citizens in Rome were slaves. And so it was a rough time to live. But if you could acquire Roman citizenship, this gave you an advantage. If you had the moolah, you had enough gold, you could, you could redeem yourself. You could become a citizen of Rome. And it, as Paul used it to his advantage a time or two, it was... Good, but here he's talking about our eternal redemption, not with silver and gold. And we've been redeemed from our aimless conduct, that is our empty behavior that we had gotten from our forefathers. We learned to sin from the people we were raised with, people who raised us, people we grew up around, the wicked culture in which we live. We've been redeemed from that not by our efforts, but with the efforts of Jesus, his precious, costly, valuable blood. As of a lamb without blemish and without spot, without fault within and without fault without. That is our Jesus. His blood was sinless blood. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope, I will trust, I will trust, are in God. God set out his redemption plan before creation so that he would have relationship with us. So the cross wasn't an emergency plan, wasn't plan B, it was plan A from day one. He knew, given the chance to sin, we would. 
and he knew we would need a savior, redemption. He dealt with sin in such a way to break our hearts so that we don't want to live that way anymore because we knew it cost God the death of his son. I'm speaking today on the subject of the blood of Jesus and how precious it is. The Message Bible renders 1 Peter 1, 17 to 21 as follows. You call out to God for help and he helps. He's a good father that way, but don't forget he's also a responsible father and won't let you get by with sloppy living. Your life is a journey. You must travel with a deep consciousness of God. It costs God plenty to get you out of that dead-end, empty-headed life you grew up in. He paid with Christ's sacred blood, you know. He died like an unblemished sacrificial lamb, and this was no afterthought. Even though it is only lately at the end of the ages become public knowledge, God always knew he was going to do this for you. It's because of this sacrificed Messiah, whom God then raised from the dead and glorified, that you trust God, that you know you have a future in God. All of this is because of the sacrifice of Jesus through his precious blood. The New Living Translation reads, And remember that the Heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time as foreigners in the land. Don't get mad at God because you've been exiled and just live any old way. You're still his. You're still his. He doesn't redeem real estate. He redeems people. So, you know, maybe, maybe your house is in the process of getting repossessed or, or you're losing your car next week. Whatever happens, you're still you. And God is after you. He wants your heart and your faith. So don't throw it all away when something goes wrong. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But he has now revealed you to him, revealed him to you in these last days. We're speaking to you on the subject. We are redeemed with precious blood. Can we say that? Ephesians 1 and Colossians 1 have a similar statement, which reads, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, and this is according to his grace. Hebrews 9 says, With his own blood Jesus entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. And Revelation 5 has this song the lyrics contain these words, for you were slain, speaking of Jesus, and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Some people don't like talking about blood. They think it's gross. They think it's archaic. They think it's primitive. But I'm telling you, it is the foundation of the Christian faith. Obviously, the foundation of the foundation is what God ordained from the foundation of the world. But what was that foundation? 
that Jesus was to be the lamb slain. The bleeding lamb. The Bible says in the Old Testament that the life of the flesh is in the blood. And it says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. Ultimately, sin allowed to run rampant leads to the shedding of blood. People die. People kill each other. So that horror of sin, God allowed to be committed against his son where his blood was shed so that even though he was guilty of nothing, we were guilty of everything, we could be redeemed. It's a mystery. It's an amazing thing that God has chosen. And our blood is an amazing thing. We'll look at that in a minute. First of all, I want to look at the word redeem. The word redemption, if you Google it, this definition will appear. The action of saving or being saved from sin, error, or evil. The synonyms are saving, freeing from sin or absolution. Another definition is the action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing a debt. Synonyms for that word are also retrieval, recovery, reclamation, or return. If you've pawned off something valuable and you go back to get it, in getting it is redeeming. In fact, that ticket they give you could be called a redemption certificate. You go and you pay the price and you get back your daddy's Martin guitar or your mama's wedding ring or whatever, whatever you pawned off. I read a story of a little boy who made a boat and took it out to sail it, to let it sail. He set it out on the sea, and the wind blew it out of his sight. Storm arose. There was no finding it. Years later, as a young man, he saw his ship in a pawn shop. And he went in and bought it, or he redeemed it. And carrying it out of the shop, he spoke to his little ship and said, You're twice mine. First I made you, then I paid for you. First I built you, then I bought you. It reminds me of Jesus. As God, he created us, and our race went astray. And as God, he redeemed us. We're twice his. He's our creator and our redeemer. Isn't that good? He loves you. The God who created you wants to redeem you and has done all the work necessary to do that. And I stand, you stand, we stand because of the blood of Jesus. Redeemed. Can we say redeemed? redeemed. The importance of our blood. A drop of human blood contains over 5 million red blood cells. Just one drop. In an average lifetime, your red blood cells are arranged in single file all the red blood cells you would ever have arranged in signal file would be microscopic, of course, but they could reach the sun and back five times. That's a lot of red blood cells. Your body has approximately 60,000 miles of blood vessels. Circular system is huge, and yet it's all contained within us. Our circulatory system provides a transportation, yes, it's a transportation system, of everything our cells need to live, like water, nutrients, oxygen. 
This same system takes away waste that would poison us, like carbon dioxide and other toxins. Capillaries that carry our blood between our arteries and our veins to make sure all the tissue is fed and cared for can be as small as a single red blood cell. So some of your capillaries, or plenty of them, the blood is in single file <laughs> doing its job. Our capillary walls, if we took them and spread them out, could cover about 70,000 square feet. It's huge. This building, counting the second floor, is 18,000 square feet. It's huge. Tell your neighbor, you've been covered. Every day our hearts beat about 100,000 times. Over an average lifespan, our hearts beat about 2.5 billion times, and they will have pumped 60 million gallons of blood. During our life, the heart never takes the day off, never takes a sabbatical never goes on vacation. If it does, more than two or three minutes, you're in serious trouble. Virtually all other cells in the human body are stationary, but our blood is mobile tissue that serves all the other cells, protecting us from harm, fighting diseases, and healing our wounds. Are you thankful for your blood? God's given it to you. Um, It's not just something that's gross. It's something that's beautiful. And God has chosen to redeem us the way he's chosen it, with precious blood. When I was a boy, about 12 years old, I read a novel called Fantastic Voyage. They made a movie out of it years later. And it's about these scientists that want to rescue a scientist that has a problem, maybe a blood clot in his brain. I don't remember exactly what it was. And um, they miniaturized themselves in a submarine, had a, had a device. Keep in mind, it's science fiction. They got in their submarine, this team of doctors and physicians, scientists, small team of people, got in their submarine with their frogman suits and different things and were miniaturized and put in a syringe and injected in this guy's bloodstream. And then they made the journey, the trek, through where they entered the body up into the brain and faced many dangers from the body itself as well as the white blood corpuscles and other problems. And So it's an exciting story of how they, they were able to use laser beams and dissolve the problem and then escaped the body through the tear duct, I think. The cover of the book had them tumbling out of this eye on his cheek. Science fiction. But I see a parallel there. Jesus ministerized himself in his humiliation. Being almighty God, he became a baby. Became a man. Humbled himself as a man, became a servant. Humbled himself as a servant and took the position of a criminal, even though he wasn't guilty. And humbled himself as a criminal by being tortured and humbled himself in being tortured by dying and humbled himself in dying by being buried in a tomb. That's, if that's not miniaturization, what is it? To do what? 
to provide the antidote for sin. To provide the remedy. To do it in such a way that it breaks our hearts. We don't want to live in sin because it separates us from God. It separates us from one another. It harms our testimony. It distracts us from God's purpose for our life. It's made available to us freely by the shedding of his blood. The benefits of Jesus' blood include we now have a new covenant with God. In three places in the Gospels, Jesus instituted, it's recorded the institution of the Lord's Supper, and the uh, Lord willing will partake of it at the end of the service. Um, In the giving of the cup, he said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. See, he came as a living sacrifice. Even though he hadn't gone to the cross yet, it was a matter of hours from from going there, still he considered himself as that offering. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the removal of their sins. We have now been justified because of Jesus' blood. God demonstrates his own Love for us, Romans 5. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for the righteous. He died for the unrighteous. He died for me and you, us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So now that I've been justified by his blood, I'm not going to... Taste God's wrath. We've been brought near by Jesus' blood. Ephesians 2.13 says, Now in Christ you who once were afar off have been brought near. Can we say near? Near by the blood of Christ. We can have a relationship with God. And we now have peace made with God because of his blood. Colossians 1, 19 through 20, for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth, that's people, or things in heaven, that's us and God, having made peace through the blood of the cross. So this is about the pleasing of the Father. The Father chose to be pleased through the shedding of blood to get our attention, to show the seriousness of his love for us. His blood, like a bridge, he hung between heaven and earth, bridging the gap between us and God and between us and one another. Vertical, us and God, horizontal, you and me, to reconcile us, to have our sins removed. I've been redeemed. To have our consciences cleansed. Hebrews 9.14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Son offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living The Bible says the conscience can be defiled. 
our conscience can be seared, and people will pay uh, counselors large amounts of money to help quieten their conscience. And sometimes, sometimes, their conscience is bothering because they are guilty. But they want to change God's view of things to say, well, that's not a problem anymore. No, sin is a problem. And the remedy for a guilty conscience is redemption through the blood of Jesus. Other people have a guilty conscience because of religion. They don't think Jesus' blood is enough. They've got to beat themselves up for their sins. They've got to earn their way into God's favor. And they insist everybody else earn their way into their favor. You've got to prove yourself worthy of my love. Oh, really? Who died and made you God? He has made us worthy of his love because of his blood. The benefits of his blood include bold entrance into his presence. Hebrews 10 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. You can't get any holier than holiest. We have boldness to enter his presence by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us. It's for us. We have the way to the Father through the blood of Jesus, through the veil that is his flesh. Now, this isn't just his blood, but this is his love. It's his life. Life of the flesh is in the blood. He poured out his life for us through the unjust wounding that he received so that we could boldly enter his grace. Our conscience has been cleansed. Don't stay away from God because you're not worthy. Run to him because he made a way for you to come to him. Even if you are guilty of the most horrible thing, whatever it is, maybe you split a church somewhere or you did something else, uh, you can come boldly to find redemption from the Lord. Well, that sounds like a license to sin. No, it's not. It's a license to him. And he will deal with your sin. Sin often has consequences, and we sometimes suffer because we have sinned, but that's the laws of nature in place. You know, you jump off this roof, you might get hurt. If God suspends the laws of nature, then the whole thing becomes chaos. You know, imagine, imagine gravity stopping so you can jump off a roof. What, what else is going to happen with everything else? There'll be car wrecks, planes falling out of the sky, and all kinds of other chaos. But once you come to your senses, run to him. You've got a license to him, not to sin. Cleansing from all sin. Can we say all? All sin is now available. 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all. Not just forgiveness, cleansing. Oh, but I can't stop. Not in your own power, can you? But in his power, 
Well, how often do I repent? Every time you need to. Get back up and do it again. If Jesus told his disciples to forgive 70 times 7, don't you think he abides by his own command? I think I've sinned 491 times. I think it's a principle. You're probably not repenting of the real issue. Let's say you're angry and you beat people up all the time. You say, I'm sorry, and next thing you know, you're whipping somebody else. You open up a can on another person. Go back, I'm sorry, Lord, please forgive me. Why do I keep doing this? You're probably not really repenting of the real issue. Maybe you're afraid because you don't trust God or you don't believe the blood of Jesus atoned for your sins or anybody else's. Who knows what the issue is, but you're not really repenting of the real issue. That's what happens when we sin over and over again and we try to get over it, try to get over it, and fall back into it, fall back into it. We're not really dealing with the real issue. We're dealing with the fruit. We've got to go to the root. Thank God the blood of Jesus makes a way for us to run to the Father for help to help us overcome, to be cleansed from all sin. This is our promise. The benefits of Jesus' blood includes sanctifying people. His blood sanctifies us all, sets us all apart. So you're sitting in a room full of people, in a community full of people, in a town full of people for whom Jesus died so that they could be set apart and redeemed. How dare we not love them and walk with them? Yeah, well, they're still living in sin. Well, weren't you? God has a way of moving us along in an atmosphere of hope and faith and love. Moving us along. Conforming us to the image with which he has predestined us to become. We sang about this earlier about overcoming the accuser of the brethren by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, loving not our lives even unto death. Back to where we started as we're rounding the bases to home plate now. We have a new covenant with God through the blood. Paul understood this. He wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And he's promised one day to drink the fruit of the vine with us in his kingdom. So the communion table is looking at two things. It's looking ahead to the time when we will have supper with him. And it's looking back to the time when he poured out his blood through his broken body for us. It's a meal of remembrance. It's like a sign of our covenant, kind of like a wedding ring is a reminder of the vows that you made. This is a reminder 
of the life that he gave for you and I. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you prepare our hearts now to partake of your table. May we remember that we were redeemed with precious blood. And Lord, every time we take of this meal, may we cherish it, may we value it more than ever. I pray, Lord, for that person that thinks they're not worthy of the communion table. Lord, may they know that none of us are worthy in ourselves, but that we have been made worthy by the blood of Jesus. the elders help me JP can you bless the bread Greg can you bless the cup hold your bread up as JP blesses it for us Heavenly Father we just uh, want to thank you for sending your son here to the earth I want to thank you for the body that was beaten and hung on a cross for us. And as we eat this bread, let us be reminded that his, his body was broken for us because he loved us. that we're going to do exactly what we're doing this morning until we're reunited with you, Lord. This, this is the time that we spend relating to you from the Bible and relating to you in the future, Lord God. We look forward to the time that we're at your table as we partake of this blood, which is the covenant that you established. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the new covenant give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Through the blood of Christ, we are made the body of Christ. And just as the blood brings healing to our body, the Lord uses us to bring healing and life and hope and help and nutrients to one another. And so I always like to include with the communion service, while we're doing things in remembrance of him, to remember one another. Because a person sitting by you is part of the body of Christ. You cannot remember Jesus if you don't remember each other. So in a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand and gather in groups of three or four, any more than five might might be too many and just greet each other and say can I pray with you about anything if you're not comfortable with doing this it's okay but if you are don't miss out on this opportunity to pray for someone else or to receive prayer or both we do that so let's stand and turn to those around you especially those you don't know say hey can we pray together